Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Adipod, the Australian Taxpayers Alliance podcast. I'm Emilio Garcia. Today, we sat down once again at the ATA offices to talk about lockout laws in New South Wales and Greg Hunt's new plans for alcohol. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so we're back in the Australian Taxpayers Alliance office. Association, I'm sorry. And <laughs> <laughs> jokes. Hey, jokes. Ah. <laughs> and so Literally we're going to... shaking right now. <laughs> Rips off his Emilio mask and an <laughs> AFR journalist. All right. So what are we going to talk about today to begin with? Uh, Brian, do you want to get us started? Yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the things we want to highlight at the moment is that the New South Wales government has finally agreed to have an inquiry mm. into their ill-thought-out lockout laws. Uh, so submissions closed yesterday, I believe. Yep. Uh, we've put in a submission, obviously, arguing why lockout laws need to be repealed in Sydney. Mm. Um, you know, so it's a good thing that the New South Wales Liberals have agreed to do this and are allowing uh, input from the community. But... It's almost too little too late, right? So mm. clubs are gone in the cross. Uh, pubs have been shut down. Restaurants, as a knock-on effect, have closed because there's less foot traffic in King's Cross. You know, it helps developers who are building apartments and things like mm. that. Uh, but all these small businesses that the Liberal Party purport to say, you know, purport to support uh, and talk about, you know, we believe in the inalienable rights of, you know, small business and individual freedoms and all that kind of stuff. Well, they've all been crushed. Uh, right. I've got a friend who used to run a club in in King's Cross. Once lockouts kicked in, he had to move his entire business outside of there. Uh, he opened a bar called Casablanca in Double Bay. But, you know, the financial strain that was put on him, he had to fire people, he had to lay people right. off. Uh, it was you know, ludicrous. And he is someone who votes liberal. Right. And so why don't you try to give us a little bit of cause? So me, for, as an American, for example, I, I wouldn't know what led up to these very stupid and very unnecessary laws being put in place. I understand that it has something to do with violence happening at 8 o'clock at night, so that way, so that's the reason that they started kicking people out at 3, so... Well, it was, it, was, it, was, it was violence occurring at actually about 9 o'clock at night, so therefore kick everyone out at 1 a.m. Right. It, like, it doesn't correlate. It doesn't. Look, so, look, Satya, you want Look, to... for a bit of context... Um, Violence in Australia and especially New South Wales, rather drinking peaked in the year 2008. Mm. Uh, it had been going up for you know about two decades before that. Uh, then it started to go down. Uh, around 2012, there were two high-profile one so-called one-punch assaults, mm. uh, both involving people not at a bar but out in the street. Uh, one of whom was basically you know high on more than just alcohol. He was you know they say he was on meth or something. And he punched this 18-year-old who hit his head in the concrete and died. Ah. The second guy got into a fight with someone, again, very similar circumstances. Didn't seem to have much to do with the fact that bars and clubs were open late. Uh, mm. Simply the fact that someone had been punched and hit the head in the concrete and died. Um, and that suddenly became uh, the cause uh, for the government to push these laws, which actually don't target these things at all. Mm. Uh, and what's interesting is uh, two things happened in the years following that. One is the trajectory in violence decreasing simply continued the way it had already been continuing. Mm. Um, and secondly, due to the massive drop in foot traffic, if you adjust for the fact that there are far fewer people in the area now than before, you are just as likely to be a victim of violence now as you were then, possibly more. Right. 
actually that's something I wanted to jump. It's it's not even possibly more. Matt Barry from Freelancer did this excellent write up a couple of years ago, uh, sort of summarizing all of the effects of lockout laws. Uh, and what you found was actually once you factor in the decrease in foot traffic in the cross, assaults went up. Per really? So it's like, there's less people there, so there are less <laughs> assaults. But some of the people that are left over right. are people that are getting into fights. So it had an adverse effect, uh, and it was like a case of just. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the Liberal Party were thinking with this. What the New South Wales Liberals were thinking. I guess it was there was a media storm around it. You know, two young people died. Uh, people were naturally shocked and, you know, angry about the situation. And I guess they just took a knee-jerk reaction. But, in, you know, what ended up happening is that businesses got crushed. Yeah. This seems to be one of the things that seems to be the way in which the New South Wales bureaucracy tends to manage alcohol-related issues. Yes. I know now that in certain parts of Sydney... You can't actually take shots at the like at your table. You need to take shots at the, at bar. the bar. Yeah, because it turns out that like two weirdos were doing this very strange thing in which they would buy five shots and go to their table and take them all, and so then the onus is put on everyone else. And that's while, weird. Yeah, but um, yeah. while that seem while that's very a very different situation, it's kind of comparable insofar as this affected a very small segment of the population. In fact, not measurable in percentages to the number of people that are going out all the time in Sydney. And yet the onus was put on businesses, on consumers. On yeah, everything. so it's a, it's a really perverse system. So uh, bars are actually responsible for the behavior of their of their patrons. Now mm. that might be, you know, you can maybe make the argument, look, whilst they're within your business, they shouldn't be acting yeah. rowdy and acting up in this and the other. But, you know, there are examples from years ago where someone went into a bar, they got intoxicated, and then an hour later they got into a car accident. Right. the bar was held partly responsible. It's like, well, no, that guy is an idiot and personal responsibility is a thing. And this is this goes back to something that we've spoken about previously. It's, mm. it's that with ultimate liberty comes ultimate personal responsibility. Yeah, so the way the, where the police are operating is uh, if uh, if someone, let's say, has two glasses of wine or one glass of wine at the hotel, then goes walking home, they live in a dangerous area. And as they're getting back home, someone mugs them, doesn't even know they're drunk, takes mm. their money. The police will, number one, record that as an alcohol-related assault. Yes. And number two, record what place uh, the person was drinking at, the victim, beforehand. Uh, And this will often lead to the venue being fined or having some other sanction imposed on them. Uh, When a number of the venues shut down in King's Cross, Mm. it was mainly due to the lockouts, but many of them were also affected by these so-called stringent conditions Mm. because of no fault of their own. Right. I mean, you hear of laws that kind of place an undue burden. Mm. on businesses, but this seems not even like an undue burden. This seems like an unmanageable burden. It was. Like, <laughs> you, your patrons consume something from you, then go and do something illegal, and or something illegal happens or, to or them. Or they get into a scuffle and, and it's somehow related yeah, to your to business. Them, yeah, and it's, it's recorded. But it, it made it easier for, for nanny state type mm. politicians to justify it, because they go, look at how many alcohol-related incidents have occurred. Right. Well, what does that mean? And as Satcher explained, it doesn't actually mean... Anything occurred in the over bar. measure. Yeah, right. it, it, it means that there was alcohol involved at some point and something bad happened. Mm. Yeah, I mean, let's assume this person had taken a bus back home after the bar. You might as well call that a bus later assault. <laughs> yeah. If someone punched them up. Shut down right. bus services. Yeah. yeah. All right, um, Emily, you want to just uh, jump I was, 
Um, just going to say that it takes the responsibility also off of the individual. Off of the individual. Right. Um, we're not taking people to task for their own actions just because mm-hmm. they've had alcohol. It's not an excuse to be violent. Just because someone's had a few drink- drinks, if they punch someone, that's assault, and that's assault point blank. Yes, right. We shouldn't give them a break because they were drunk. Certainly, the nanny state isn't necessarily known for for wanting to attribute person <laughs> um, responsibility to, to individual people. But uh, so I think we've talked about this subject uh, more or less enough, unless anyone wanted to say something else before we turn to the next issue. Um, I think the only thing that I'd probably say uh, is what some of the politicians who push these laws along need to understand, especially certain you know members in the Liberal Party. Mm. A lot of the business owners that owned these clubs actually made a lot of money and were Liberal voters because they don't like paying tax. They don't like ah. you know getting creamed by an overburdensome government. Mm. But they don't want to vote Liberal anymore and they don't want to donate because they got screwed by their own party. Uh-huh. So, you know, the Liberals in New South Wales have done a good job and they've held on and they've been re-elected and thankfully they're opening up to an inquiry. Mm. But they need, to, they need to do a lot of work to rebuild the trust of a lot of these bar and club owners that got absolutely screwed by just nanny state policy. Mm. Emily? Oh, I was just going to bring out, the U.S. is also not much better when it comes to these alcohol laws. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hearing about last call laws when I came to, to Australia, and I was like, well, seems pretty good. You guys get to stay at the bar until three? That seems awesome. <laughs> I usually get kicked out at two. Um, so I decided to do research on the U.S. and mm. see how it affected violence in different states, because we have a nice natural experiment where different states have different bars closing at different times. Right. And we found there was states' no, rights. States' rights is great. <laughs> There's no correlation whatsoever between the time the bars shut off alcohol because of the state mandates it, mm. and the amount of al- um, of alcohol related violence or violence in general, right? Or even alcohol related deaths or excessive drinking. There's no correlation whatsoever between yeah. last call times. In fact, didn't you find that in more colder states, people were actually freezing to death because they had to get kicked out of the bar? Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually true. Oops. Wow. Mountainous states, particularly mountainous states with At least they weren't counties, drunk. Yeah. <laughs> people try to walk home because they don't want to be irresponsible. They don't want to drink and drive, and mm. they freeze to Wow. Actually, like, so here you can't ride a push bike if you've got <coughs> alcohol in your system. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, I have had friends <laughs> who have gone out, right. done the responsible thing, and gone, oh, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna drive home. Why would like? I'm not gonna do that. Drink driving is bad. Mm-hmm. They get on their push bike and ride through like a suburban street. I was living in Newport at the time. Right. Like you're riding through a suburban street, cop pulled him over. <laughs> pulled him he, over. Yeah, because he fell over on his bike because he was a little bit intoxicated. Right. But nah, you're done. <laughs> and it's like, what? The what's reason the that worst we're... damage this guy's gonna do? Like he's gonna dent a door. Or skin fall his own over. Knee. Yeah. Yeah, skin <laughs> his was knee. he on the pavement or was he on the? He was road. just coming down the road. Yeah, but some car might have hit him, and then... Was but also his Why was he on the bike in the first place, then? Like... No, I mean, I guess yeah. he should have been on, on the sidewalk. I mean, no, but you're not allowed to ride on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Ah, well. You can't win. Well, this is a pickle. You really can't certainly. win. <laughs> but uh, since we're on the subject of alcohol and not being able to win, oh. it certainly seems like we're not going to win in the alcohol department at all. So yeah. we, we were discussing kind of privately these... Um, new solutions being proposed by a gentleman called uh, Greg Hunt. Yeah, Greg Hunt. He's the federal health minister for the Liberal Party. Uh, mm. He's also a, a dirty goblin. <laughs> um, I just... I, 
usually I'm respectful of politicians I disagree with. I have mm. zero respect for Greg Hunt. He is the most illiberal person that has ever been elected mm. into the Liberal Party, and the Liberal Party should be ashamed for having him as a health minister. Um, what do you really think, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, the thing about Greg Hunt at the moment is that Currently, uh, there is uh, a, a proposal under a, pre- I think it's called the Preventative, preventative Health uh, Platform, mm. uh, it, with a lot of data that's being fed through by the World Health Organization, ah. uh, and then pushed along by the Australian Medical Association and other health groups, talking about you know issues around, for instance, alcohol, and mm. going well. There's alcohol-related issues all across the country, and we need to solve it. And how we're going to solve it is we're going to get rid of certain levels of alcohol promotion uh there's proposals in the draft in the draft in the actual draft papers uh that i had a look at the other day Mm. there's discussion about getting rid of uh you know promotional deals so like you go to coles you buy your groceries and you get a shopper docket that says hey you can get five percent off a bottle of wine at at bws Mm. well that would potentially go uh go to dan murphy's and there's a two for one deal on something gone um price floors on alcohol so same. You're a working class guy, and all you want to do at the end of the week is go and get some beers from Aldi. Because why would you pay full price beers for garbage at you know a different outlet? Hmm. No, that beer is too cheap. You can't have it. That's the kind of stuff that's being proposed. Right. And this is a health minister in a party that talks about civil liberties and individual responsibilities, and you know empowering yeah. the individual. And yet, from what I'm being told. He's only meeting with health bureaucrats mm. and doesn't want any input from anyone else. I mean, it's... it's it seems like the opposite shocking. of liberalism, too. <laughs> but, this, but this goes back to my point. He shouldn't be allowed to call himself a liberal in the Liberal mm. Party. He should. It should be like, Greg Hunt, the federal health minister, brackets, he's not really with us. Because <laughs> it's just, it's atrocious. Mm. One of the things we see is a constant repeating cycle. So, you know, if you're in the private sector and you propose a project or an idea and it fails to deliver results... You might have to explain yourself to the CEO. You might get fired even. Mm-hmm. The, the way that public health operates is very different. So these people rely on taxpayer grants constantly to keep food on their table. And there's a pattern where they keep finding ways to make the biggest change happen, even if it means intruding into our lives. They have to be seen to be doing something to justify their existence. Mm-hmm. Then when it starts to fail, when it doesn't deliver the results, they will actually double down and right. say the reason it didn't work yet is because we need to do more of it. We need more money to research how to do more of it. Um, and a, unfortunately, because a lot of politicians, and I suspect this is the case with Greg Hunt, mm. probably don't want to be seen to be clashing too much with these guys uh, who are, you know, state, you know, who are sort of public servants. Mm. Uh, and because of that, they will capitulate to what is really irrational and bad policy that intrudes in our lives. So, but that's that's one of the interesting things because we're getting all of this data from an international organization. This is uh, the World Health Organization, if I'm not mistaken, is part of the UN. So yeah, I mean, this would... is the same organization that believes that stuff that's proven to be safer than cigarettes shouldn't be legalized because... Oh, is that... Yeah, like, they push the same kind of stuff. They, right? Didn't it's... they once appoint Robert Mugabe as a goodwill ambassador? They, they did. <laughs> did yes. they really? I yes. mean, to be fair, I think he so. reduced the obesity in Zimbabwe. Was it the World Health Organization that, like, essentially thanked... Or like credited North Korea with like reducing obesity, or was that the United Nations? I don't think that was WHO. It might have been, but okay. some other goblin agency. But it was it was one of these like huge international groups that you'd expect good data is yes. essentially what I'm saying. That's what you would think. Yes, but it's clearly not the case. So 
I mean, oh, is there anything that we can give them some credence on? Is there anything that, okay, maybe some kind of price floor, maybe some kind of uh, alcohol regulation, is any of that actually efficient? I was going to say, we can give the World Health Organization some credit because mm. they figured out plain packaging doesn't work. Oh, yeah. Well, it actually are. increases the consumption of cigarettes among the poor because mm. it's quantity over quality. You take away branding and They price. just pay for the cheapest stuff and get more of it. Exactly. Uh, um, look... I understand the like. I understand why a health bureaucrat wants to do something. You know, they see alcohol-related violence. They see, you know, domestic violence, and, and and alcohol obviously plays a role in that. But price floors and you know, getting rid of shopper dockets and things like that 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 doesn't solve the issue because other countries drink. They don't have those right. issues. Clearly, it's a societal <clears throat> thing. Mm. Uh, the way that we approach alcohol in Australia is different to the way that Europeans approach alcohol. Mm. Uh, And you can't just fix it with a tax or fix it with, you know, a price floor. Um, You see uh, indigenous communities that are known as dry towns because you're not allowed to have alcohol in there. Well, they're still getting messed up. (laughs) They're now just doing drugs or they're making their own alcohol. They're making moonshine equivalents. Or, you know, or they're sniffing petrol. Because... If someone is going to try and do something, you know, right. some kind of substance, mm. uh, they're going to do it. Right. Uh, locking them out of a, a regulated consumer protected product leads to way more perverse outcomes. So you're saying that uh, bureaucrats have come up with something that was well-intentioned, but <laughs> ultimately... Yeah, their hearts are in the right place. It's just that they live in a bubble. You know, they drive a beige Golf GTI and think that mayonnaise is spicy and they live in Canberra <laughs> where all of our taxes go to die right? and they don't see the outside world. Mm. They, I, I promise you, they've never been to a football match and spoken to a sparky mm. or a plumber to go down and have a beer. That guy's not going home and beating his missus. He's well, they pretend to when they're, when they're trying to get elected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, the, 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 the overarching issue that I see, it seems like what they're trying to do is they're saying... Here's alcohol. Here's a problem. They're both related. What we're going to do is regulate the alcohol. Yep. And clearly, that's not that's that's not yep. the. I mean, it's related. It seems to, there seems to be some involvement, but it's not the cause. Yeah. I think if we just get people to stop drinking or drink less, somehow we're going to get people to or stop instill hitting some each basic other cultural or, values around like, hey, it's not okay to go and be a quote unquote loose quote unquote loose unit at the pub. Like, yeah. if you're going to drink, I, I I have no issue with the ads that are like drink responsibly. Hmm. You know, don't be, don't be a toss or that kind of stuff. The problem is what you're doing is you're sort of sending this message that if you drink, you will be violent. You yeah. will act out. You yeah. will sleep with someone you're going to regret, you know, the next morning. Um, and it, it makes people, it, it, it basically makes people think that, you know what, I can use this drinking as an excuse to rationalize my conduct. Mm. Yeah. When really you are completely responsible for yourself. And that's how other countries deal with it. Mm. You know, if you, you know, travel to most parts of Europe, you'll see people drinking in the public square in the middle right. of the afternoon. No one's punching each other. No one's, you know, karaokeing to a song that, okay, maybe there's some of that. Mm. But, um, you, know, you know, at the end of the day, that's a much better way of approaching alcohol. Yeah. Um, even if these are countries where people actually drink more. Well, th- there seems to be a culture around drinking in certain places. Well, Emily, you and I are from a country where there is no culture of drinking until the age of 21. Yes. And then people go crazy. Oh, yeah. It's and binge they... drinking, usually yeah. before 21, in <laughs> frat parties. And... Right. But then it's treated as a forbidden thing, but, and you learn how to drink yeah, on your it's own. It's a forbidden fruit, right? Right. And I think probably in Australia it's different. You can drink at the age of 18, and I think Aussies are yeah, a little bit more comfortable still, with drinking. The way that, the way that but, it's treated like a sin, yes. it, 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 it means that once you're of the age where you can sin, and people are like, all right. Done. Let's let's go to the go Ivy forth. and get 
absolutely munted. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you're creating the issues that you are trying to stop. You know, mm. a good example is about 12 years ago, Kevin Rudd, when he was Prime Minister, introduced what was called the Alco Pops tax. The point of that was you get premixed drinks like, you know, vodka cruises and things mm. like that. And um, they were saying, well, these are too attractive to young kids. And, you know, young kids will take, take them up and start drinking. So we're going to tax the absolute hell out of them, make them like twice as expensive or if not more. Uh, and that'll stop, you know, younger kids doing that. Right. Well, all that meant was that younger kids who had a fake ID went down the road and bought a straight bottle of vodka, yeah. a straight bottle of Coke, mixed them half yes. and half and got way more drunk mm. than... I remember yeah. actually um, looking into that, that, that study when I, I was interning a few years ago. Um, and what they found was the actual amount of young people that were going to the emergency room was higher after those laws. After really? Those increased. Yeah, because yeah, more people were, yeah, drinking. Because you um, preload. Higher, mm. yeah, higher yeah. amounts of right. each. Um, and speaking of preloading, this I'm kind of jumping back uh, towards the last subject, but I was about to ask, with all these regulations on alcohol, the reason that the most that we're paying in terms of, of a bottle of alcohol, the majority of that is a tax. Yeah. Are we making it more expensive for people to drink in bars? They're getting drunk at I, home, I, arriving I, in a place. I literally have chosen to drink at home instead of go out to bars. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's not just to people depressed who are drinking in their apartment. I I'm saying that you drink. Yes. You drink before you go yes. out and then I, you get into fights because you're already drunk when you arrive. Yeah, I actually right. just recently uh, wrote an op-ed on this. And mm. they did a study in Queensland about how pre-gaming has substantially gone up with the lockout laws. Right. And that's just dangerous. You've got people that are going to the bar drunker. They found that the blood alcohol content has gone up by 0.2 percentage points. <sighs> From where it was, it went from zero um zero point zero seven to point mm. zero nine. But in that's America, a lot. That's, that's a For lot. For context, point zero seven means that you're drunk. Right? You, you went mean, you went from being able to legally drive in the states to not legally able to drive. Right, it's not, it's um, and that's think, average across everyone. So I mean, yes, that's the yeah. average. So you've got people that are much more intoxicated at the bars. Right. I had two points we could make. Mm. Um, such is research. I think it was 80% of people drink out. So, so 80%, 80% of drinking, drinking occurs at home. home. Yeah. 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 So 80% wow. of drinking already occurs at home, not at a bar. Um, and secondly, since the lockouts, there's been a huge influx of um, warehouse parties and all these illegal parties uh. where no one's kicking you out if you're too drunk or, you know, checking if you're doing any other illicit substances. Right. So that's what they also sort of created this new market. Um, yeah, maybe yeah. lockouts aren't that bad. More lockouts, more speakeasies. <laughs> you know what? Change, change your submissions. Here. <laughs> well, actually, another couple of things that, that this, I think, would be causing is, I mean, not only not only these kind of illegal parties or uh, whatever. Yeah. If there's less time to go out and I want to go out and enjoy the night, wouldn't that incentivize me to drink so really heavily mm. until 8 then go to the bars once I'm already drunk, and then... That sounds yeah, far exactly too logical. What, what happened in Queensland, yeah. Yeah, and then, after that, it seems that people are going to, like, house parties with people that they meet outside. That doesn't seem tremendously secure to I just know. go with a bunch of drunk people you just met on the street into their, you know, domicile. It no, seems it's like a, It's awesome. But, yeah, it's not secure. <laughs> I'm saying, it, w would your parents say, yes, I think that I that's think a safe thing. I think parents approve of a lot of... Uh, <laughs> so fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, but... Like, we, you and I have mm. literally had a discussion today about, oh, uh, actually on Friday, uh, 
instead of staying out at a bar, do you yep. want to just like have a couple of drinks at home later mm. and like you know bring a couple of mates around and whatnot? Right. Like because it's like, well, why would I go to a club where everyone's going to be binge drinking because they're encouraged to now because I've got a short time frame in which to right. you know enjoy the night mm. when I I could go home and do the same thing and in all likelihood, you end up drinking more alcohol at home because you've got an entire bottle of vodka or an entire bottle of gin or yeah. something like that. Well, yeah, two martinis per yeah. one bottle of gin bought yeah. it, uh, you know, at yeah. the store. That seems like an easy... If you make it, like, unreachable, yeah. in which the, the, the ambience isn't enough to pay a little <laughs> bit more, then, yeah, of course you're going to drink at home yeah. in an yeah. unregulated space. We were also talking... There's a more sinister side to this than mm. just the cheap vodka at home. <laughs> uh, we were talking about domestic violence earlier. No mm. one has done a study yet on the effect of lockout laws on domestic violence. It's oh. all been non, like, non-domestic like assaults that have... That all the studies have been on that. And so I would be curious to see data on the effects on, of domestic violence because people are drinking more at home to see if that has gone up since um, since the lockout laws took effect. Interesting. Yeah, and keep in mind, you know, if you're out in town drinking till 1.30, then you have to abruptly stop. By the time you get home, you're still quite drunk, you're still in your element. Yeah. And if you're the kind sure. of violent person who likes to beat his partner up, you're going to do it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas there's an argument to be made that if you're coming home at 4 or 5 in the morning, uh, you know, maybe you're less likely to have the energy well, to do that. Well, yeah, but also if you're at home drinking and you're a violent person and you're, you know, have horrible values and think that beating someone is okay. Right. Being in the exact same area as that person is probably a recipe for disaster. I think that's right? the issue, though. Why are we trying to regulate human error and, and, and like, individual but, issues but that people cu- have with their own psychology? They couple two things. So they go... Domestic violence, bad. We all agree. Right. Oh, binge drinking and, and drinking too much, mm. bad. Sure. And somehow they're interlinked, so therefore tax drinking. It's like, no, no, we should really be trying to tackle domestic violence. And, right. like, there are some effects and some attempts to do that, but you don't need to shut down, you know, a bar because right. of, a, of, a, of, a, of another issue. So here's my question. Uh, in the last episode, we talked about um, the, the taxes put on, on cigarettes. Yes. That they're, to a degree, can actually stop some people from, from, from smoking. They're generally so, effective, yeah. So is there is there something similar with alcohol? Is there some kind of uh, medium yeah, point yeah. in which you don't uh, want to make it too cheap? You don't want to have, you know, $3 uh, tequila like we have in Mexico, which is actually a dollar, <laughs> to, like, <laughs> translated to the Aussie dollar. I mean, I would but, say no long term. I would say that if, if we just got rid of, you know, excises and, and certain taxes on liquor here because of our drinking culture... If it happened immediately, yeah, people would be going down to Tio's in Surrey Hills and smashing tequila and getting absolutely messed up. Mm. But that's because we have a horrible drinking culture. Um, yeah, that's true. They'd also know, wake up the next morning but, and probably regret it yeah. and be like, maybe next time I'll have yeah. a few But like, shots. If you just changed the law overnight and mm. made it like that, yeah, people will go out and do some stupid things because there's been this whole stigma and, and, and association with alcohol as mm. that's the thing that you do when you want to go out and get messed up. Right. Uh you know, it, it, it's the, the the issue is is there's no easy fix, right? <laughs> uh, but governments are very good at saying we've made an easy fix. We've banned going out late at night. Yeah. On this point, the argument is often made that there are all these costs that are borne by the government in, re- in relation to drinking. So when people end up at hospital or end up having to go to prison because they got drunk and punched somebody, um, you know, they've tried to do some estimates on what the actual costs are. And often these estimates are horribly inflated because they will throw in all sorts of random things that are not borne by the government, the so-called social cost of drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But if you look at the study from Collins and Lapsley, which is often cited, they've estimated it at about $15 billion. Now, if you isolate just two components, that is the cost of the healthcare system and the cost of the criminal system, uh, now, you don't even break these down into public or private because a lot of that money is paid mm. for by private insurers and so on. But let's assume the government has to bear that entire cost themselves. Mm. Even then, the total cost, when you scale it across our current population level, uh, and by the way, this is scaling it based on a higher level of drinking back then than it is today, you still arrive at about $4.75 billion. Whereas the amount of money that the government raises every year in alcohol excise is something like $6.75 billion. So this idea that we don't have the money to pay for these things, let's just hike the taxes up, is complete bullshit. Mm. We have all the money. What's the government doing with it? And this goes exactly back to you know, tobacco excise. It costs a few billion dollars a year in healthcare costs. They raise you know, $15, $16 billion a year in excise, right? So... They say, well, this is to prop up the, the cost on the system. Mm. Well, they're paying far in excess of what they're actually costing the system. And, you know, I just want people to consider they went after tobacco companies who sell products that kill people. And, you know, we can have debates about, you know, the roles of that. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> and they tax them and enforce plain packaging and, you know, price floors and all that kind of stuff. Well, now they're moving on to alcohol. Mm. And next they'll move on to fast food. And then they'll move on to sugar. And they will not stop. And they will go on to salt. And they will do all of those sorts of things. And these are the things that libertarians have been highlighting for years, going, actually, you may not like a tobacco company. Right. In fact, I can totally understand why you don't. Mm. But they're like, you know, the canary in the cage further down. And as soon as they're done, these bureaucrats are going to be moving on to something else and you have weak health ministers like Greg Hunt who's supposed to be a liberal and push back against this and he's just folding like a soft cock. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I think uh, that's probably all we have to say about uh, about lockouts and about... Uh, <laughs> well, we could keep going. <laughs> well, as much as we want to. So I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Adapod, a podcast by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. If you care to know more about the ATA, visit their website, www.taxpayers.org, where you'll be able to see their mission statement, their projects, campaigns, objectives, and so much more. Remember, listening to the podcast is free, but creating it isn't. If you'd like to continue to see the Australian Taxpayers Alliance advocacy, please consider becoming a member or donating. You can do this on their website as well. This has been Adipod. We'll see you next time.